Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. No Premier League football to talk about today, though, as we're deep in the midst of the international break. But the England manager has given us a debate to digest. Gareth Southgate seething at the booze for Jordan Henderson in the Three Lions friendly with Australia on Friday night. Henderson, of course, now controversially plying his trade in Saudi Arabia, but not deserving of stick because of it, says Southgate. Hendo may have switched Merseyside for the Middle East, but there will be no Arabic influence at Manchester United, as reports over the weekend claim that Qatar's Sheikh Jassim has pulled out of the race to purchase the Reds, paving the way for British billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe. So, Sir Jim could be in, but for only 25% of the Glazer-owned club, with suggestions his Ineos group are to take control of sporting operations at Old Trafford. But is this good news or bad news for United fans? Or is anyone too sure at all what it really means? We'll try and dissect that on today's episode of Football Social Daily, which is on the way next. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. In the studio today with me, Niall McCorn, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson, as always. How are you doing, boys? How was your Premier League free weekend? Uh, it was utterly dull, really, um, in terms of football anyway. Well, you replaced Premier League with Sunday League because you were I always showing clips of you doing rainbow flicks and all sorts of stuff. Oh, I had a good game this weekend. Good game. <laughs> yeah, good game. But still no goals. No, nearly, nearly, well, I'll say nearly. I put one into the stratosphere and I put one just over the bar. But <laughs> it's getting there. It's getting closer. You showed me a clip where, if everyone remembers Rooney's chip to Van Persie for that 2013 title-winning yeah. title goal. Not a title-winning goal, but you know what I mean. Um, Villa. And the same ball happened to you and I was literally thinking, no way is he putting this bottom corner on the volley. <laughs> and the ball literally goes out of frame. <laughs> <laughs> You know I caught it clean, like you know that old cliche of oh he hit it too clean. He did it too well. Yeah, he hit yeah. it too well. Yeah. I well mean, enough too well for me. Landed in, landed in a different postcode, honestly. <laughs> you know what? It reminds me of when we played that six aside tournament, which Joel's still devastated about that we lost in the semi-finals. It reminds me of Joel giving it the large one for about a year. We'd never seen him play football, saying that. You know, I'm going to turn up, going to pull all the strings, going to play well. In the warm-up, Joel, you may as well have been wearing Timberland boots, mate. Your shooting was absolutely dreadful. But actually, to be fair to you, when the games came around, you did score See a couple of saying? goals. So. When it mattered, I stepped up. I just needed to warm up because it was absolutely torrential rain. <laughs> See, it's like you were wearing steel toe cap boots the way you were shooting in the warm-up. Um, before we go any further and we do get, on, get in the Sea, which is our usual Monday feature here on FSD, we want to say a big congratulations to friend of the podcast, and I think we can call him that because he's been on the show this year, Pascal Chimbonda, who's got a job in non-league management with Northwest club Skelmersdale United. And he says that he's taken inspiration from Guardiola and Mourinho and Zidane and people like this who he's played against and also played with in Zidane's case. So good to see Pascal getting a job, Marley. Yeah, great. Um, from what I mean, since we interviewed him, obviously I've, I've followed him on social media and stuff, and he all he posts is how quickly he can run 4K. Um, usually does like a 4K jog every day, and he, he can do it in like 17 minutes. He's in great so shape. He, he's he was when be we spoke to him, wasn't he? Than anyone yeah. in that Skelmersdale United squad. No offense to Skelmersdale United, but you have <laughs> yeah. got an absolute beast coming to manage you, so you better get your fitness up. Really nice guy, and you can hear our interview with Pascal Chimbonda. We'll put the link in the description if you've not heard it before. He tells us about what it was like to be on the bench for a World Cup final. Yes, that World Cup final when Zidane headbutted Matarazzi 
in his final act of craziness on what was a glittering career before that, Pascal Chimbonda literally had a front row seat. He was in the dugout for that very moment in 2006. You can hear that amongst a host of other stories, including his time in the Premier League as a player on that podcast, the link to which is in the description. Right then, if you've never listened to Football Social Daily before, welcome along to the podcast. I'm Niall, Joel and Marley are with me in the studio. And every single Monday, we do a feature called Get In The Sea, which usually is our chance to get some frustrations off of our chest and kind of get rid of the things inside of us that have annoyed us over the weekend in the Premier League. But there is no Premier League this weekend. The weekend just gone because it is the international break. So a slightly different flavour to Get In The Sea this week. We'll come to you first, Joel. I guess it's international football of some description that you're going to have to launch. It's going to have to be, isn't it? Because there's nothing else to whinge about in terms of football. And I've enjoyed the international break, having not watched Manchester United for another week. Um, It's going to be Gareth Southgate. I think it's kind of strange how two years ago everyone was singing, Southgate, you're the one. You still (laughs) turn me on. And now he's turning everyone off with his comments and especially towards Jordan Henderson. I know Jordan Henderson during the game was getting booed. Yeah, this um, was the game against Australia on Friday night, wasn't it? Friendly yeah. match. And he was made captain as well for the team because Harry Kane didn't come on at all. And rightly so, he was getting booed. Everyone can have their frustrations at him. They're well within their rights to do that. But the way in which Southgate, okay, understandably leapt to his defence, but his comments in terms of him saying that he's phenomenally important to the team and that he's a role model for the group. I mean, if that's the kind of role model the team want in terms of abandoning your values, buggering off to Saudi for 400 grand a week and then lying that it wasn't about the money, then I don't know what kind of role model they're looking up to, to be honest. But it's just, aside from all the kind of political aspects of it, him just being in the squad in general is just ridiculous. I can think of so many players who could be in his place and are more worthy of being in his place than him. Go I on then, name a few. Name a few players. James Ward-Prowse. Oh, God, yeah. No, that's fair <laughs> enough. No, that's fair enough. No, James you know, Ward-Prowse is playing well. in the Premier League yeah. for West Ham and he's done really well to start the season. Jordan Henderson, though, is still playing regularly. I know Sean it's Longstaff. in Saudi. Okay, that's a good shout. Yeah. But I know it's in Saudi, but he's still playing regular football. So is that maybe why Southgate's chosen him? I mean, come on, what's the quality of Saudi? Where would you rank the Saudi league in the world? But he's playing playing every week or twice a week in Saudi Arabia better than someone in Calvin Phillips' situation who's not playing at all for Manchester City, really. I mean, is is training with Man City on a weekly basis better than training in Saudi and playing playing in Saudi? I'd probably say, yeah. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. I mean, neither of them should be in the squad here. But the booing thing, because Henderson was booed, wasn't he? Mm. I mean, Southgate leapt to his defence. Can you see why he's leapt to his defence? Because of all of the reasons that you mentioned there. He said that he took Jude Bellingham under his wing and he said that he's been a real key member of the squad in which England have been successful with, this group of players. So Southgate's clearly going to defend his man, and understandably so, because he's been a good servant for him. But can you understand from the fans' perspective why Henderson was booed at Wembley? Well, one of the main reasons why Henderson gave the green light to go to Saudi was because he received assurances from Southgate that his England position wouldn't be massively under threat. So it's almost like Southgate said, well, it doesn't matter what league you're in, you're my favourite, you're my, you're my son. Like, come on, I'm your father, I'm not letting you go. Like, <laughs> like you, Star Wars. <laughs> literally, he has his favourites though, doesn't he? It's like having a group of siblings and then you always have your favourite. I don't know if that's going to be the case, cause I'm not a father yet, but Marley, maybe in a few years you'll be able to tell us if you have a favourite son or daughter when the time comes. <laughs> Don't know if that's going to be the case. Yeah. yeah. When he calls his son Gareth. 
We'll figure out. Gareth, <laughs> Gareth Amiobi. We're, we're completely undecided on a on a name right now. So yeah, Shola's looking strong though. <laughs> if, if that actually happens, I'll be absolutely. Baffled. Until February, when it actually arrives, it's being known on this podcast as Baby Shola. Okay. Baby Shola. Baby, baby Shola. Shola. Okay, fine. We'll run with it. Baby Shola. Yeah. Right. Really? That's enough. Baby Shola chat. Let's get back okay. to Jordan Henson. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's understandable. Every manager's going to leap to the defence, especially when it comes to a player's personal decisions to go to a different club or a different league. But again, Is it harsh, though? Is it harsh to boo Henderson or not? No, the, the, the supporters have their rights. I mean, we all know the reasons why. The reporter asked him, do you know why you're being booed? And he said, no, do you know why? And he said, well, because you've gone to Saudi. And he said, oh, well within the rights he knows exactly oh, but it did why. that athletic thing and is that not fixed everything uh, no it hasn't Jordan it's, it's actually made it worse I, I can't tell if he's playing dumb or if he's, he genuinely doesn't understand why he's not playing dumb he's he's just dumb <laughs> he's just thick I he think he thinks if I think he thinks if like time will sort of heal it and maybe it will like in in long term but this is the first time you've come back to England since mm. hang on since you said you watched Sorry, a bit second. of Saudi football the weekend yeah. I know it's different to going. It was literally but... before I went to bed last night, I was flicking through the channels and I found it and I was like, oh, hello, it's Ronaldo's team. And then just random players just popped up that I recognised, like Laporte. And I was like, what's he doing there? And now he's ordering an Al Nasser shirt. <laughs> Absolutely not, no. <laughs> With no baby chance. shoulder on the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, child size, my first size. I mean, Jordan Henderson being booed was... Not a deflectionary tactic, I guess, because it wasn't the best England performance, but it was a much changed England side against Australia. I guess, Marley, that was to be expected, wasn't it? With this qualifier against Italy being the far more important game of this international break. And that's tomorrow night. Yeah, it was always going to be like that, weren't it? Um, and that that kind of annoyed me, like the, the overreaction of people like, oh, this is rubbish. And there's an obvious reason why it's rubbish. Like you, you get you get in a a team of 11 players who've never played together before and have been together, you know, for four or five training sessions and it's against Australia who didn't really attack. They, they sort of sat in and, and tried to counter-attack, which is, again, is fine. Um, but you can't expect this fluid, flowing football that the actual England first team would play, especially when you've got Italy in three days' time and, you know, you're, you're sort of saving your energy and your best players for that. So that was, uh, was a bit of a, a thing, but yeah... It still doesn't mask the fact that the game was pretty poor and very forgettable. So what are you throwing in the sea then, if not Jordan Henderson or Gareth Southgate leaping to the defence of Jordan Henderson and the booing and the situation around that? If that's Joel's gripe from the weekend, what's yours? Uh, I'm throwing in the... Something obviously it was to do with the game. It was it was Dion Dublin. Oh, poor Dion. What a nice guy. He's a guy. lovely guy. Stairs leading up to the bedroom and all that sort of. Homes under the hammer stuff he's done. It's all great. However, on core commentary, the guy is... Not for you. Not for me, okay. no. Um, there, there was one comment he made where he was talking about um, Australia's assistant manager... Rene Mullenstein. Rene yeah. Mullenstein. And he said that um, he was like, I've heard lots of good things about this guy. Um, and it was he sort of phrased it as if like Rene Mullenstein was an up-and-coming coach. <laughs> I think that's the on sense of humour, though. <laughs> It's it's weird though. It's so weird. I was like, I'm sure Rene is like 60. So I just googled him. He's 59. He's older. He got than his Dion, first yeah. coaching job before I was born. <laughs> 1990. It was NEC Nijmegen uh, managerial uh, youth team coach. Sorry. You know he's had permanent jobs since 99, 2000. Like he's always been in work. Man United. 
first team coach for a long time and everything. And there's Dion going, I've heard good things about this guy. <laughs> yeah, right, I think Dion. he was joking, wasn't he? But I don't know. I, I don't know. He needs to be more obviously sarcastic, though. I mean, to be fair, yeah, he's, I mean, he's I've, me. I've been lucky enough to work with Dion a few times. And like you say, he's a really nice guy. And as someone who's done a bit of commentary in the past, it's quite funny how people have their preferences with commentators. And, and it's part of the business where you're not going to be for everyone. There's going to be people that will turn off because Dion's on co-commentary. Yeah. There's also going to be people that turn off because Steve McManaman is or because Jermaine Genus is or yeah. Martin Keogh. It doesn't matter who the, po- the the co-commentator or the pundit is. It's not going to be for everyone. So I guess yeah. that's that's you, part of football broadcasting, isn't it? it? You get quite a lot of choice now as well um, because with the, there being that many broadcasters and that many packages you've got to sort of buy and listen to and watch and what have you. I always remember in the old days, the in the old days, <laughs> in the uh, we were talking about it last week um, when when ITV had Champions League football. Yeah, mm. Clive and it Tilsley. was Clive Tilsey and Andy Townsend, and yeah. it was brilliant. That was a Andy Townsend, and Andy Townsend was great. But was it only good because you have fond memories of it? Maybe before you had maybe the ability to form your own opinion of whether someone was good or bad. I think you probably look upon that with reflection and think, mm. "Wow, that was." The, you know the elite era of commentary whereas people Maybe, might look but, people might look back on you know Darren Fletcher and Steve McManaman who are of a certain age now in yeah, 10 to 15 years and go yeah, that's, but, that's but universally true even BT or TNT <laughs> know he's they know he's not great but they keep putting him on because people talk about him and exactly. the, the you know the social mentions and the ratings sort of get a bit higher when Steve McManaman's you know screaming yeah down the camera so who are the best co-commentators then who are the best pundits co-commentators and even play-by-play if you would want to call it that that's what they call it in the united states and canada don't they but main commentator if you will who who are your favorites ali mccoist yeah he was very good he's a little bit insightful but also Mm. just in the scottish accent just adds a bit and he's got a bit of a sense of humor i think sometimes football is so serious which is why i think the cbs champions league coverage with michael richards jamie carragher thierry Henry. I think that's a lot of fun because we're so Even used to football being dead now, serious. Because it's everything it's, gets on your. It's nerves. almost it's almost too like they're trying to be too, too much of a too, laugh. Yeah, I see what to you're the saying. To the other side, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. they're all like it's just it's almost like they don't Michael talk about Richards football at all. Just sometimes screaming his head off at nothing. It's like what are you come on, man. I feel like with commentary, everyone always forms a good partnership with a specific person where mm. the chemistry is beautiful. So like with uh, Martin Tyler and Gary Neville. I feel like them two struck a really nice chord together. Mm. Andy Townsend and uh, Clive Tilsey, that was just iconic. I mean, mm. you just resonate their two voices with just big Champions League nights and it had just added to the flames. Whereas now I feel like they chop and change a little bit too much. Putting one guy with another guy that they've not really mm. worked with too much. I feel like it needs... It takes time to develop yeah, a bit of chemistry to build with them. Yeah. yeah. That's I don't mind Neville, point. to be fair. Um, he is quite objective. He's very dismissive. Whenever a United game is on, he feels like a Liverpool fan. He says whereby. If you ever notice Gary Neville, if you ever keep account of the amount of times where he says whereby, it's just endless. What are you saying whereby for? You're not presenting a you know business. I, I love when they're ex pros when they like try and add that grit where you go, Oh, it's a great game today. Like, and uh, then he goes in the actual <laughs> does just that. Talk, yeah, he realizes that. But mm. also Jamie Carragher does something similar. You're talking about whereby with Neville. Jamie Carragher always qualifies what he says by going it's a great strike. It really is. It or it's really, great yeah, defending. It really shot, is. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, they always qualify by going, it really is. It really is. It's like, well, you've already said it. You can't go back <laughs> on it now. But they just rubber stamp it with an it really is. But, I mean, we do have a lot of choice. So who are the best then? If that's co-commentators, Neville and Carragher, are they the best pundits on telly, do you think? I think they're really good. I think they're up there. 
I like Shearer and Ian Wright's, um, com- like, you're talking about partnerships. They're little, when they bounce off each mm. other, that's great. Um, Ian Wright's really, really entertaining. Don't know, I feel like Richards is a bit overused now. You see him on everything. You see him everywhere. He is, he's, he's on every Sky Sports he? thing. He's on every podcast. He's on every... But he, even by his own admission, Everything that's because really. he wasted all of his wages when he was a player. <laughs> so he's, like, he's on every broadcast. Very true. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> but what are you looking for in a I love Jose, I guess that's I the love question. Jose Just knowledge. Little... Knowledge without, like, I think it's obvious when somebody hasn't um, watched too much of the team they're commentating on. Like the Dion Dublin thing. He hadn't, hadn't really watched Australia. And that's fine. A lot of people haven't. But you're in that position. Because you should know a bit more. Mm. So is there not an Australian core commentator? Could you not have put Harry Kewell in the in the box? He was on TV. He was on Channel 4's coverage. But I mean, he's not the most likable figure in in England when he's uh, when he's been. Well, Tim Liverpool Cahill would have been a great shout, I Tim think. Cahill's Someone good, who's yeah. done TV work before in the UK, so he would have been an option. Mark Viduka could have been there. Mark Schwartz has been on TV quite a lot as well. So mm. you know, oh well, Channel Four in it. I think they're still learning the ropes. I, I quite like how simple their to... coverage is, though. It's very much, let's talk about the game. Yeah. Let's watch the game. Let's mm. break down the game. I do think there's quite a lot of excess in football coverage now. I didn't think we'd be talking about this, though, on today's episode of the podcast. This is what the international is, break does to us. This is the beauty of FSD. The tangent <laughs> is always a beautiful tangent. <laughs> well, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about away from the podcast in the Telegram chat, and you can find a link to that in the description. That'll be near the link to the Pascal Chimbonda episode that we've already referenced, and all of our social media channels will be in there. We really want to get into the habit again of starting to answer your questions. Now, if you've been a listener to this podcast for a number of years, you'll know we used to do a special day a week where we would only answer your questions. It was called AQA, Any Questions Answered. So send them in to us. We're really keen to start doing that. We did it last week during the international break. And maybe in the next international break, which is only in November, we'll spend a few episodes through the week answering your questions. So we'd love to know what you think of the show as well. So get in touch with us via socials or in the Telegram group. It'd be great to hear from you. Right, next up on Football Social Daily, we're going to talk about Manchester United. Now, there hasn't really been many weeks of the season so far that we haven't spoken about United because on the pitch it's not going great, off the pitch it's been a bit of a shambles at times, but there have been some major developments over the weekend and we'll talk about them next on FSD. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall. I support Portsmouth, who are in League One. Marley's a Newcastle fan. And Joel Tudor, who's with us as well, is a Manchester United supporter. And it's Joel's opinion that I'm keen to get now because we're going to talk about this story that's broken over the weekend. We've known for a while, close to a year, that the Glazer family, the current owners of Manchester United, are interested potentially in selling their stake in the football club. It's taken a long time and there have been quite a few potential candidates to take over those reins. The two big ones, Sheikh Jassim of Qatar and Sir Jim Radcliffe, the owner of Ineos, who is Britain's richest man, both billionaires. But over the weekend, the big news was that Sheikh Jassim of Qatar has pulled out of the race. 
paving the way for Ineos owner Jim Ratcliffe to try and secure some sort of percentage takeover of Manchester United. Before we talk about what is likely to happen, which is the Jim Ratcliffe stake in the club, let's talk about what happened first, which was that Fabrizio Romano and a number of other reputable news sources suggested that Sheikh Jassim of Qatar decided enough was enough. He had pulled out of the race. Your thoughts on that first of all, Joel? Is really understandable. It's been a year now since they officially basically put United, I want to say on the market, but I don't think they had any intention whatsoever of selling United as a full go. I think they were basically testing the waters, seeing if they could entice a billionaire to pay an absurd fee. But I always I always think and I've always thought that they've wanted a little slice of the pie, slice of the pie going away just so they can get some kind of money in return. But as Glazers as a whole, they failed completely as football owners, but they played this situation absolutely beautifully. I couldn't I can't describe just how annoyed I am at the fact that they're gonna get a huge cash injection at 1.3 billion, yet they still remain in control of everything. And when you look at what's being reported now, Jim Ratcliffe's team are looking to take the sporting side of things into control, which means they get to choose the sporting director. If they need a managerial change, they'll choose what happens. So basically, it's the Glazers saying, we'll take 1.3 million of your cash. You can have a little slice of equity and we're going to go out the firing line. We don't want anything to do with it anymore. You guys control it since you know what you're doing. And then you go and increase the valuation for us. And in the next three years, we'll start to slowly increase your percentage until it gets to the percentage that the Glazers want, which is the valuation. That's the way I'm seeing it. And that's why I'm saying the Glazers have played this to an absolute fiddle. And that's why Jasim is probably thinking... Why should I try and outbid myself when I'm the only bidder who's wanting outright uh, equity in this whole situation? It's madness. Well, the thing that I find strange is we don't really know a great deal about him, to be honest. Sheikh Yassim of Qatar. He's Very quite elusive, a, isn't Yeah, he? quite a mysterious character. Whenever you see a news article about him, Mali, there's always the same picture. It's like AI generated. It, it, yeah, <laughs> it's the same photo every time. It's like, it's a bit strange that we don't really know where he comes from or what his wealth is. And to be honest, the Glazers, if they value the club at 6 billion and they want 1.3 billion off Ratcliffe for 25%, which you can do the maths, works out at around about 6 billion if they sold the remaining 75%. Mm. If this man from Qatar really is that wealthy and really wants to buy the club, could he not just have gone, well, here you go, here's 6 billion. I'll take the club off of you. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he's rich enough to do it. If you, I always think like, if you, if you want something... You know whether you want it or not, and you're not really bothered about how much it costs you. Like, if I want to go and buy a Ferrari and I've got two million in the bank and the Ferrari costs 1.2 million, I can't afford it. I can just mm. go and buy it. I haven't got that in the, in yeah. the bank. That's he, why I he drive feels, a Renault. He feels that it 6 is billion was too much. That's the point. Sheikh Jassim pulled six. out because 6 billion he thinks is too much money for Manchester United. It's the same as Mike Ashley, I guess, who held out for his 350 million for 14 years and eventually got it. Yeah, well, eventually, that's, that's the thing. Eventually, you got it because somebody came along and said, well, yeah, okay, we will buy it and we'll see the long-term uh, thing of it. You know, you got $350 million and now if you, if the Saudis sold the club now, what's it worth? It's worth more than 350 So I suppose it's a, it's a value thing. Um, it's frustrating for the fans because they're the ones that get strung along and they get their hopes up and, and stuff like that, which is exactly what I said to Joel when this, this whole thing started of this takes a lot of mental energy to, to keep up with this thing and um, when your club's going through a takeover it's um, a lot of a lot of wasted energy that you have hoping that 
you know, we can sign this guy and we can do this and we can do this in the market and we can improve the training ground and the ground and we can maybe move or we can redevelop and what have you. And then, you know, this stuff happens and it's like, oh, Sheikh just seems getting, what percentage of of it was? Was it 25 tops? Ratcliffe is getting 25%. Ratcliffe. And and just seems just walking away. Yes. So there you go. I mean, how how long has this been going on now? It's been... Well, nearly a a year. year. So, Mm. you know, it's just a year of of what? Of nothing? Nothing's really changed. The Glazers will still be in charge. Everyone said Ratcliffe was a bit of a a charlatan and he's not really uh, committed to owning a club or whatever, or owning a club the size of Man United. He owns a club the size of Nice, which is, uh, you know, at best a Champions League just about sort of club. And he's happy to make the profits off that. That's... Mm. You know, there's, there's no pressure on Nice to do anything. Well, I mean, Man Manchester United. United is a huge global organisation, but I've always said this, and it doesn't matter whether you're buying a club in the National League or the Champions League, football clubs don't really make money. They don't make profit. No. We, we, I mean, we've, that's we've the way it is. on here, haven't we? That thing of... If you're in the business of owning a football club to try and make money from a club, mm. you're in the wrong business because football clubs lose money. That's the way it goes. I mean, the difference with yeah. the current Manchester United ownership is the dividends that have been paid to the owners, which has really frustrated the fans. And we, it wouldn't be allowed yeah. now Which to is, another, is another debate it's altogether. Like, it's like we like could do a whole other podcast. Over and over again and over again, but you're never actually paying off the house. You've got the money that you've paid into the house but you, you just start keep going and going yeah, you just, yeah. just keep starting again it's, which I mean we could have an, a whole other debate about the way Manchester United is owned we won't what I want to know from your perspective Joel as a fan is this good bad or indifferent news for Manchester United supporters and from your perspective personally your own Manchester United viewpoint for the club the fact that Ratcliffe is going to take over 25% as far as we can see here hasn't been ratified or confirmed yet but for 1.3 billion, 25%, the Glazers step back. Ratcliffe takes sporting control of the club in inverted commas. Good, bad, indifferent news. What do you think? For all my Harry Potter fans out there, I put it in this kind of analogy. <laughs> Voldemort. Me, <laughs> if, if you watch Harry Potter. Not really, no. Okay. Hang on, wait, wait, hang on. You've never watched Harry Potter. That's this. I've watched a couple. But right. years ago, when I know there's seven of them, out, I've so never watched all seven. I was going to say, fair enough, you haven't watched all I think seven. I've watched, but... What was the first one? The Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. I think I watched that. Thank that's, God that, you know the name of that one. That's about it. <laughs> right. Let me you, do you my analogy. Be, sorry, sorry, Joel. Sorry, you must be one of the only people in England to have never <laughs> watched all seven Harry Potter films. Nah, it's crap. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Now, let me tell you my analogy. Right, sorry. Moving on, People who like Harry Potter, who's like 99% of the whole world's population. Marley's like Sheikh Jassim on the outside of this conversation. It's like how, you know how Voldemort is divided his life into Horcruxes and you need to go and kill one Horcrux to then remove parts of his soul. Eventually, when you kill all the Horcruxes, he dies eventually. I see this like them killing one Horcrux of the Glazers. So they've got 25% equity, <laughs> then they'll get 50, then 75, then 100, removes the Glazers. Voldemort is no more. We have won. Vol- <laughs> Hogwarts is free at last. This is the way I describe it. Anyone who's not, not watched Harry Potter and Marley's looking at me like, like I've just told, got told seven heads. Yeah. Marley looks like I've just spoken Spanish for the last five minutes. It, it, it makes sense. But I have a lot of questions about it, to be honest, because we don't know a lot. Obviously, the club have to do a board meeting to actually accept this offer of... Um, 1.3 billion for 25%. But the big issue for me is that this cash is not going back into the club. The Glazers are running far away with it, doing whatever they want with it. It's going nowhere near towards a stadium, nothing towards paying off debts, nothing towards a training ground. It's getting removed from the club. 
So I want to know, where's this cash coming from from Jim Ratcliffe? Is he getting a loan? Where's the loan being placed? He's where's Britain's richest man. Placed? He's quite wealthy. But when it comes to this amount of money, surely, and he said it- Well, he's only paying 1.3 billion. He's not paying six. He's only paying 1.3. I say only 1.3. Like <laughs> Relative. Relatively but speaking. you know what I mean. But I mean, I, I've got a lot of questions about well, what happens in the next three years. Then is it just twenty five percent, or is it contract contractually agreed that he's going to take fifty percent in two years and then seventy five percent, and then in overall full control? So there's a lot of unanswered questions at the moment. But I think the big glaring point is sporting control because the Glazers failed for eighteen years. They don't know how to run a football club. So it's almost like for the last eighteen years they've been walking blind. They don't know how to run it. They've been making a boys' club upstairs hiring all these bankers who have no clue about how to run a club and running it into the ground pretty much. And now it's almost like they're his advisor. They're the ones who are going to be actually running the football side of things. So that's why I say it was telling from the start that they never had any intention of selling the club because they realised that if they can get a more astute person in, someone who has football brains to get Man United back on the right yeah. track, the valuation is going to naturally increase, which therefore means they'll make more money in the long run. Well, and then when you look at the Champions League format, new money coming in. You look at the amount of TV rights that's increasing, more money coming in. One part of them's thinking, hang on a second, we, we, we should stay in this and have a little hand in the pie because in 10 years, five years, how much is that percentage going to be worth if we start doing well and the Champions League starts growing? Well, I guess one of the growing. questions is why 25%? Why have the Glazers said... 25% all of a sudden, when for a long time, the club wasn't really for sale at all. It seems like it's just a foot in the door for Ratcliffe, because let's not forget, he wanted 67% at the start, which meant that he would take control in terms of any yeah. type of decision. This almost feels like the Glazers still want control, but they're letting in someone to then therefore slowly integrate into it. All reporters are saying it's almost like a foot in the door. It was the only way to get in with them. Otherwise, they just didn't want to take away control. And that's quite clear with the percentage, like you say. But I think the best way I can describe it is there's a lot of ego and a lot of vanity coming from the Glazers because Jasim's bid being rejected seems to stem from his statement or his team statement at the start, which said that he wants to bring former glories back to the club almost as if to say you guys haven't done the job so allow me to take the reins for me i think that's dented their ego so badly that they didn't want to hand over the keys and they were like well if you can return it to former glories give us stupid prices give us seven billion mm. to answer your question at the start marley the reason why they haven't gone full load and said okay we'll pay whatever you want why should they outbid themselves they're the only team that are going to be asking for 100%, they've got to pay for a new stadium, new facilities, then they've got to spend money on the club, money on the infrastructure and the team. That's like another $2 billion in advance. No smart businessman in their right is going to think $8 billion for this club is the perfect amount because it's poor business. It, means it makes no sense. If Manchester United sells for $8 billion, that means the Glazers will have made 10 times what they paid for the club in 2005. And they didn't pay anything. They got loans. Well, 790 million is what was paid for the club in 2005 by the Glazers. Yep. The way that that buyout was done is another podcast, as I've already said today. But if they sell it for 8 billion, that's more than 10 times of what they paid for the club. Exactly. So they played it to a fiddle. All Everything's about control. In their perspective, if you take away the kind of negativity I have towards them, it's absolutely ridiculous business mm. because they now in, have a team who know how to at least, well, Nice are second in Lejeune at the moment. Things are turning for them a little bit. They know they have an investor who almost knows how to run a football club to an extent. They might bring in Paul Mitchell, 
the sporting director who's just left Monaco. At least mm. he has a, a know-how of how a football club should be run. Right now we've got John Murta, boys club. He's not been brought in from the outside. He's been promoted internally. They don't know how to run a club. Sort of businessy yeah. guy, isn't he? Yeah. They don't know how to run a club. So in a, in a business sense, it's absolutely phenomenal how the Glazers have run it because they've literally, the return on investment yeah. as is a, insane. As a get-rich scheme, yeah. Oh. I mean, in theory, what the, what the I know we're, it's quite slightly off topic about the, the purchase of Man United, but in theory, how the the Glazers bought Man United, there's no there's no reason why us three couldn't buy Man United because they didn't have any money. They loaned it, bought it, and then have made ten times off it. So, you know, to go back to one of the other points as well, you know, the only time you make money off a football club is when you sell it, because you buy it for like Mike Ashley bought Newcastle for hundred odd million and sold it for three hundred and fifty and spent fourteen years not putting very much into it, so he made. Yeah, Gross Newcastle profit, were one probably... of the only clubs to break even. One of the only clubs in football to break even, which yeah. is really hard to do. Exactly, but it, it, you have to break even at the cost of what goes on on the pitch because you don't invest, you don't buy players, you don't put any money in the training ground, the facilities, the injury recovery or anything like that. So you end up going slowly backwards, which for a fan base is horrendous to watch because you're just seeing your club get strangled of... Mm. It's like having a rear naked choke locked into you. Everything yeah. just goes black slowly. Well, if and you then stand bang, still in football, it's the old cliche. Where's the cliche, Bell? He's found it. If you stand still in football, you're going backwards. That's, exactly. That's the cliche, isn't it? Which makes but sense. Mm. Cliches are true, aren't they? Cliches are, are, are formed off truths. Well, um, I mean, just look at Manchester United now on the pitch this season yeah. so far. What have they lost? Six of their 10 games mm. so far this season. 10th in the Premier League table. Manchester United were bought by the Glazer family in 2005. They went on to win a number of Premier Leagues under Sir Alex after that point. They won the Champions League in 2008. Because the last... they had one guy having total control but that was over probably, everything, that was probably which was Ferguson. But that was probably yeah. residual from the success from previous years, whereas actually the last 10 years are more indicative of the Glazer's way things have ownership. gone. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. They took over in 2005 and had no say in how the success was. Mm. When we went in Moscow, that wasn't because of the Glazers. Yeah. That's because they, they had one of the greatest managers that's ever lived controlling the club. He was the owner in a sense, if that makes sense. The real indictment of what the Glazers are is when he retired and you just saw the ship slowly sinking. They didn't know what to do because they didn't have the manager to suddenly pull the reins and say, "This I will take control. Suddenly they had to take control of a club that they've literally sat back and thought, my God, it's easy running a football club. We just put Alex Ferguson in charge and we win everything. And then suddenly they have all these chains of managers. They don't know what to do, how to run it. They came in so naive. They looked at it and thought, we're going to make a ton of money off this because you just do. This is English football. It'll increase. To an extent, they're right because they're about to make an absolute fortune. Probably one of the biggest profits in terms of sporting clubs in history. But in terms of them as football owners, they have dramatically failed. Mm. Hugely failed. And that's why they have to get someone on board now who can actually guide them in the right direction because they don't have a clue how to do it. Well, Ratcliffe tried and failed to buy Chelsea. Is that a concern for Manchester United supporters? No. I don't think he truly wanted them because if you remember, he came in in the ninth hour. Mm. It was almost as if to say, I'm in the market for a club now kind of thing because just before he did that bid, he got asked, are you not in for Manchester United? And he said, they're not for sale. So he was in for a club. I don't truly think he was... He's a businessman before a passion project type of guy, oh, yeah. I think. He's not buying this because he's a fan. He's yeah, buying well, this. Well, he is a Manchester United fan by his own profession. But, I mean, that's not the premise of why he's buying it. Of course, it's a, a great thing that he is and he's a local guy. 
but mm. you've got to be naive in thinking yeah, he's he, got he, ulterior he, motives to he, try and make something from it. He owns he owns Nice, who is sponsored by Ineos, so he's got marketing there for his Ineos company because he's got the front of spurt, uh, front of shirt sponsorship and stuff. And also, where's Nice? It's on the French bloody Riviera in the south of France. <laughs> yeah. If I could own a club in the French Riviera in the south of France and live in a little castle or whatever he lives in, <laughs> I'd do it. It's a good, smart investment. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's, if you need a business cheap. trip, it's dirt cheap in in France as well to to own clubs compared to the Premier League. You know what on, I mean? On the flip side, I do worry, and I've seen some French newspaper reports about Nice and what happens for them. A lot of their fans are a little bit concerned that they're now going to turn into, you know, a second thought, just the almost become Off neglected because his full focus is Manchester United. I mean, I've got to put all my eggs in that basket now. So then what happens to Nice is the resource is going to get pulled all away. All your eggs in a basket of a, of a business you've only got 25% in makes no sense though. But that 25% is probably worth like five Nices, which is, is crazy that, in itself. That, it that depends on whether he is given sporting control of the club with that 25%, doesn't it? Yeah. Because if it's all about off the field stuff, then maybe Nice fans shouldn't be so worried. But the fact that it is about on the field stuff reading these reports and these reports are true, then that does make a difference if you're a Nice supporter, doesn't it, I guess? Because Ratcliffe and Ineos and then looking at beefing up Manchester United squad and probably other investments around training facilities and such the like. Mm. And that might make a difference to a club like Nice. Yeah. There's a lot of unanswered questions though, isn't there? As a minor investor, why would you start paying for a stadium finance? Why would you start putting money in unless... This is what I mean. There's a lot of unanswered questions unless they know that there's a view to becoming 100%, which then makes sense to say, right, we're going to start putting investment in now. But as a minor mm. investor, that's like me asking Marley, can I have 20% of your house and I'm going to renovate your kitchen and I'm going to renovate everything for you. You'd be like, yeah. well, I own the majority of the house, so why would you do that? Yeah, it's, what's in it for you type of thing, yeah. That it's, means... My football club was bought by American investors in 2017 for £7 million. It's crazy, that is. That means that Manchester United is a thousand times more valuable than Portsmouth. Ah, that's all inflation, though, isn't it? You know? <laughs> and it still stopped us to a trial. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a good way to leave it. Listen, this is a developing story, actually. We don't quite know, as we record here on Monday afternoon, exactly what the situation is with Manchester United. There is said to be a United board meeting on Thursday to hammer out the final T's and C's, if you will, of this mm. situation with Ratcliffe potentially buying 25% of Manchester United via his Ineos group. So we'll keep you updated on that through the week. Of course, England are playing tomorrow. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's podcast as well. But the best way to stay in the loop with us here at FSD is to hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform. It really helps us as a podcast to grow. And tell your friends about the show as well. If you know that they're looking for something Premier League related to listen to, we'd love to have a little recommendation there. Leave some reviews as well on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you like what you hear. We'd love to get a little bit more involved with you, the listeners to FSD. So you can get in touch with us via the social media channels in the description. You can also join the Telegram group. But from Joel Marley and I on Football Social Daily today, that is it for now. And we'll catch you next time. See you then. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.